0: All right. Assignments. Okay, Assignments. We have a homework due Friday, right? Well, not anymore. I switched it to the fifth. I changed it afterwards because the other classes is still due Friday because we're on schedule for their homework but yours has to do with the planets and the sun and we're we're actually almost done through our, you know, very rapid tour through the solar system. We're zipping through it. But I won't get through the sun between even today and tomorrow and Friday. So I'll give you, and just to make sure I just made it due the fifth, I want, it to do, want you to do it before the exam because the questions will apply to the exam. So obviously, in that case, I won't have it graded and back to you to study before the exam, but at least you'll have done the questions for it. And I'll try to remember if you remind me on Wednesday I'll put up like an answer key afterwards so you can actually see the answers if you want to go look at them and use the actual answers to study since I won't have anything, you know. I might have them graded and back to you that morning, but that doesn't do you a lot of good when you've got, you know, when you were hopefully were studying you know, the night before, probably, right? You know, no studying early. I know how it works. You don't study earlier than that. Okay. Quiz three is not up yet, but will be up this afternoon. And I put that through the 5th as well just to make sure, again, you do it before the exam time. So you'll have, that'll help you with review for the exam. Both of those will help you with review for the exam. And then exam 2, October 7th, you know, perfect timing for it right before the, our incredibly long fall break, right? All day and a half or two days or whatever it is. So, But that way it'll be done there and then I'm Midterm grades can actually be submitted starting next week. So, I will not do them that first week. I'll wait until after you get your second exam. So you have two exams. So if you did poorly on the first exam and do better, or vice versa, if you do, you know. Hopefully everybody does a little bit better, but we'll see. So, I'll probably put mid post midterm grades up after sometime after, either that weekend or the beginning of the following week. So don't go looking for them. I don't know when they release them to you but don't go looking for them too early because I think they put them up pretty quickly usually. So I won't have them up too early. I'll wait until I get that second exam in so you've got. That way you'll have an article review done which are pretty much done and graded but grades haven't been recorded yet. So you probably will see grades popping up in WebCT today and tomorrow and then I'll have them back for your Friday. So they'll definitely be back Friday. But, they're almost all done, but if I gave them back to you now, then I wouldn't have any grades recorded, which wouldn't help you very much, because then everybody still ends up as a zero. So, so you will have that, so you'll have an article, you'll have a couple, two of the exams already in, you'll have several, we'll have had three, four quizzes total, because you've done one other quiz already on the iTunes quiz, you'll have had three homework, so you'll have had a big selection of things to, to grade you on. So, okay. So questions on those. And I'm still, I'm going to say, barring anything major, we've, I'm not planning on changing that date, so I'm going to stick pretty much with the 7th. It times out very well with the, with the midterm break, and that way you don't have that extra, that long, long break where you're going to forget everything, right? Not like in the middle of spring where you do miss a whole week, and you've got to tie to time it real well. So, And again, exam is chapters 3 through 9, but it's chapters 3 is one third, 9 is one third, and 4 through 8 is what we're doing now. And that's the other third. So, looks like a lot more chapters than it really it really is. Questions? Questions? Yes, sir? Um, are you going to give us like, the review things for the test like you did like, the last Yes. Time? Right. I will put those up again. If you don't see, you know what, I can put them up. I, can put, I have them ready so I can put them up anytime. So if you don't see them this afternoon and you're looking for them, email me and remind me because Sometimes after an hour's worth of lecture, I forget what I was going to do, and I say, oh, I was going to grade, or I was going to do this, you know. So if you don't see them in that time, email me and remind me, and I'll get them. I'll put them up for you. OK. Other questions? OK. Picture of the day for today. I don't think I'll ask what it is. I think it's a little, even though I left the thing down there, but picture of the sun. So we're seeing part of the surface of the sun. And no, that's not from a satellite taken where you see the Earth in the background. If The Earth is actually put there just for scale to give you an idea of how big this solar flare is. So that's a pretty tremendous solar flare because that's the Earth to the same scale as the sun. So that's how big the Earth would appear. So this sunspot itself is the size of the Earth. So that's a pretty tremendous storm. And that is material sunspots, which are our next chapter. We'll talk about sunspots a lot more. But sunspots are little cool areas on the surface of the sun. Now I say cool areas, the surface of the sun is about 6,000 degrees. They might be 4,500 degrees. They're still pretty darn hot. They're not cold. But when you put something that's 4,500 degrees against a background of something that's 6,000, it looks dark. If you could somehow scoop out that material and put it out into space, it would still glow. It would glow you know, a deep reddish orange still. So it is still hot. It just looks dark compared to the rest of the surface of the sun. But what we believe happens, to give you the quick version, is that the sun has a magnetic field. And the way it rotates, it gets all twisted up. And at times, it gets so twisted that magnetic field pops through the surface. So magnetic field lines get all twisted up instead of rotating that nice big magnetic field like the Earth does. They get all twisted and they pop through the surface. And they cool off the section. But they can also have particles that follow. As those magnetic field lines have gone through, these particles and flares can be sent out along those magnetic field lines and into space. And if those happen to come towards Earth, you know, if Earth is right in the path of one of these, which we weren't on the couple that have come out so far, that could cause some major disruptions. So this is an example of a solar flare, but there's also something called a coronal mass ejection, which is a lot of material being sent out. That happens often, too. The lucky thing is that it's not often directed at us. Because if you look at how big the sun is there, and look at how small the Earth is, it's got to shoot it just about right to hit us. You know, you could have it going out that way. It's not going to come close. You got one this way, and you got this whole other big chunk of the sun that we're not even looking at. So they could go off every which direction. They have to be pretty well targeted to happen to hit the Earth, but it will happen. The last major mass ejection that hit the Earth was about what is it? About 150, 160 years ago now. Now that's a lot of charged particles coming through. 150 years ago, 160 years ago, 1850s, pre-Civil War. So there was no no satellites, no no very little electronic communication, right? Telegraphs. But apparently the last major one that hit us disrupted the telegraph cables, was strong enough. So you wonder what it would do to all of our communication satellites. If something really strong were to hit us, how much of our communications and stuff would get knocked out? Cell phone service, satellite service, I mean, a lot of things could get disrupted if something were to come. And there are major ones. It's just, you know, we're lucky right now that we haven't had one come actually hitting us. Now the interesting thing about this sunspot, is that this is a big one. And I think I mentioned, either in this class or the other, that you can actually see it without a telescope. And there's actually a picture, either a sunrise or sunset picture, but you can see a pretty tremendous spot. Now, this wasn't taken with the telescope. That's just, there's a scenery view. There's a few buildings in it. So that's just taken with the camera. That's a pretty darn big spot. I mean, that's the size of the Earth. Or bigger, I should say bigger than the Earth. but. You can see the whole grouping right there, easily visible in the in the picture of the sun. And again, sunrise or sunset? I'm guessing sunrise because it looks so. Usually, looks darker then, but I'm not sure. I did, they didn't give me a detail on this specific. can't speak today. Specific picture. So. That was our picture of the day. Sun, appropriate because we're finishing up on the planets and we won't finish them today most likely, but we'll probably finish them on Friday and start on the sun then. So, and we're at a very air, uh, area of very high solar activity, so there's lots of solar flares going on right now, lots of activity, lots of aurora that we looked at, again, a little while ago, a couple days ago, I think. Questions, questions on the picture? No? OK then we shall go on and continue zooming through the, zooming through the solar system. So this is where we finished up last time. We were looking at Mars. So we we're almost done with Mars. We looked at this slide. and There's only one more to go and we're done with Mars and in the inner planets, and then we zoom out to the outer planets. But we were looking at Olympus Mons, biggest volcano in the solar system. 700 kilometers in diameter. So as he said, that's bigger than the, that's wider than the no, Pennsylvania across. In fact, I looked it up somewhere and they compared it. They overlaid it on a map of Arizona, and it just about fits in the state of Arizona. So this one volcano fits in the entire state. So you'd put the caldera in the middle, the little, the opening in the middle, and the rest of this would stretch across the entire state of Arizona down to the end. So it's a pretty, pretty big volcano compared to so how come Mars is so lucky and gets these big giant volcanoes and, you know, we're bigger than Mars. Mars is a little tiny planet. How come we don't get any big volcanoes like that? You know, our, it makes our, our little volcanoes, look little Hawaiian volcanoes, look like nothing. And there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is that Mars is smaller than us. So Mars has less gravity, so it can build a bigger, it can build bigger mountains when you have less gravity. Mount Everest is, what, the tallest one on the Earth? This is three times taller. If we tried to put something this tall on the Earth, the gravity pulling it down would swish and melt, essentially melt, the bottom. It would be so much gravity pulling down on it that it would actually pull it down to a more manageable level. So there's only so big something can get on the Earth. Eventually, gravity will pull it. So you can only stack it up so high before the gravity pulling down through this whole thing would try to smash it flat. It's the same concept that causes all of the planets to be round. When we looked at some of those little asteroids and comets, they were all sorts of irregular, odd shapes, you know, looked looked odd, we looked at the which one do we look? We looked at one of the, I think we looked at one of the asteroids or something in a picture a couple weeks ago. And you know, it was a very irregular peanut shape or something. But you don't get that with all the planets are pretty much round. And that's because their gravity is pulling them into a spherical shape. The more gravity you get, the more smooth of a sphere it would be. So when we get out of the solar system, and we talk about the stars, stars are very, very round. You know, even rounder than this, you don't get any kinds of mountains on them. But even when you get very compact stars, they're stars that are dead stars that turn almost into a solid. And they're size of the Earth or less, but the but the mass of a star, and they'd have no mountains. You couldn't you couldn't get something. You'd be talking inches high, instead of you know feet or miles. It would be talking inches would be the most you could do before the gravity just pulls it down flat. So that's one of the reasons Mars gets much bigger volcanoes. The other one is that Mars, and we looked at that Valles Marineris last time too, the crack in the surface. Mars doesn't have plate tectonics. So the plates don't move. This is a volcano very similar to the Hawaiian volcanoes in style and how it formed. There's a weak spot in the crust, was a weak spot in the crust of Mars, and the lava flowed up from the interior. That's what happens in Hawaii. But in Hawaii, that Pacific plate is moving. So over time, you formed, instead of forming a single volcano like it did on Mars, that plate kept moving. We formed the Hawaiian island chain. So, you know, how many millions of years ago it was? This was the active volcano, and this one didn't exist. And then, as this plate slowly moved, you formed a new volcano, and then you found another weak spot in the crust, and a new volcano formed. And that would continue on. You know, um, come back a million years from now, and you know the, the active, the active volcano in Hawaii. Well, that's active now. Will be dormant, and there'll be another one. There may be a new island coming up. So two different things there. First of all, Mars is smaller and can get, make something bigger, can make a bigger mountain, and there was no motion. If this plate had moved, you know, even a few hundred miles, you could have formed a chain of volcanoes. But instead it just kept, the the lava just kept flowing out through the same volcano over many millions and a billion years, and just kept building it up over that time. So it ended up making, you know, Something three times the height of Mount Everest and the size of the state of Arizona. So, pretty tremendous. You wouldn't want one here, you know, you wouldn't want that erupting. Something the state of, size of the state of Arizona, you wouldn't want that erupting around, around the U.S. That would take out a good chunk of it. Okay, so that's where we finished up last time. When we look at Mars, we also see evidence that Mars had liquid water at some time in the past. So Mars has no evidence of liquid water currently. So everything we've sent there, there's, there's water ice, frozen water. There might be some water vapor in the atmosphere, depending on the exact temperatures, but there's no sign of liquid water. But you look at some things here where it looks very similar to stream channels on the Earth, and we've seen some evidence of this. And you also see, this is an interesting, I like this crater, because you see a crater where an impact occurred, but look at the outline and how, sloppy it is. It looks like something splashed into a big mud puddle. So it looks like the thing you get if you threw a rock into a mud puddle, it looks like the same pattern that you'd get. So maybe this crater, this meteor, hit in a rather wet area and then left this pattern. So you can see it's how, how it's rounded and not as sharp as it would be if it was just dry material, how it looks like it was almost splashed into the mud. So there's a couple different pieces of evidence that water did exist on Mars in a liquid form at some point in the past. Now that doesn't mean it was you know, 10 years ago, 100 years ago. No, we're talking billions of years ago. We're talking in the distant past. But at some point there, because Mars doesn't have much of an atmosphere left, not a lot, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of cratering in those last few billion years. So things are left from that time. So we can see maybe what Mars was like billions of years ago. And that's one of the reasons we keep going back there to look for evidence of life. You know, what If life was someplace else in the solar system, the way we understand life forming, again, this is our last chapter we talk about at the end of the class, but you know, we look at life as forming, it needs water. You know, we're very biased by how life formed on Earth because that's the only example we've got. You know, we don't know where life is anyplace else, so we don't know of any other you know life based on this element or this element. You know, it's nice conjecture, but we don't have the only thing we have is carbon-based life needing water, and that's pretty much what we have here. So we tend to look when we see this evidence of water there. You know, did it did Mars actually form some sort of small microbes at some point in the distant past? You know, was there life? There's been no evidence from anything that we've studied so far that there is currently but it's hard to find, you know, evidence of what might have been when you're talking about little tiny organisms. You know, nice to find a dinosaur fossil. So if you had dinosaurs on Mars, you probably could have found them a little easier. But you wouldn't be able to find something like, you know, microbes are very hard to find that kind of, you know, fossilized evidence. Now, the other thing I mentioned here is that well, first of all, most of the craters have been eroded away, the little craters so there aren't a lot of littler craters on Mars because they've been wiped out by things like this, except for the ones that have formed more recently. And the thing we've, and we've talked about this talked about this a little bit the, age, the analysis of the craters tells you the age of the surface. So when we look at how many craters there are on a specific planet or moon of one of the outer planets, I can tell you how old that surface is. The more densely packed the craters are. So the craters, there's lots of craters. You look at the moon, there's lots and lots of craters. We looked at Mercury, there are lots and lots of craters. Those surfaces were relatively old, they have been un- meaning they have been unchanged for 4 billion years, almost. They haven't really changed. Whereas this one, Mars has fewer craters, but still has a good number, so it's, it's a rel- little bit younger surface. It's been resurfaced a little bit by the volcanic activity and the action, maybe, of water that have wiped out some of these smaller craters. Earth, even more extreme, right? Earth has very few craters. You don't walk down the street normally and see craters sitting around. Whereas if you're walking on the surface of the moon, you know, there'd be a crater, a crater, a crater. So Earth has a lot more things that go on. But the Earth isn't even the best example. There is actually one of the moons of Jupiter, which is so volcanically active that there is not a known impact crater. So one of the inner moons of, Mercury, of, of Jupiter is so volcanically active, and I think we have a picture of it in the next section on the thing, but there are no impact craters on it. So it's the very youngest surface, it, meaning it's been resurfaced over the last few millions of years, so that there are no impact craters. OK, so done with the inner planets, zoom out to the outer planets. Feel like you're taking the course in the summertime, right, and you breeze through everything so fast. Now there's an interesting picture of Saturn there to start it. And that would actually be, and I don't remember if we did that, there was, a, there was one of the photos of the day, but I don't know if it's one of the ones we did in class, was it? Did I show one like this, do you remember? Yes, OK. That was t- Saturn taken from behind by a satellite. So it's actually a backlit view. It would be more of a backlit view of Saturn. So it's sort of interesting to see that. It looked actually, I think it looked pretty much like this picture, as I recall. So, but now we're going to move out. So we've talked about the terrestrial planets. Terrestrial planets were all nice because they were like Earth. So everything we underst- understand about Earth and you're used to physically here was pretty much the same. There were some differences in what their, what, they were, what their atmospheres were made of and how big they were and there were a few differences. But these planets, the Jovian planets, are completely different. So they're a completely different type of planet. And we looked at that table at the beginning that compared, you know, all the differences of the planets. And the Jovian ones had, were completely opposite. They were big, the other ones were small. They have rings, the little ones, we don't have rings. And so on. But Jupiter, Jupiter you can see nicely right now in the morning, up in the early morning sky. And even from the Earth, with a small telescope, so something like Galileo might have seen, something like this. You know a beautiful image You're used to seeing you know you get spoiled by those beautiful s- images of Jupiter taken when Voyager flies by or Galileo flies by that looks beautiful but you can even see something like this through a relatively small telescope and looking through the Earth's atmosphere so you can see the planet itself very distinctly and you can see some bands it does have some structure on its surface now we'll look at some nicer pictures as well but you also see there's 3 of the Galilean satellites. So three of the moons that Galileo discovered when he first turned his telescope to the moon and was able to watch them over time, so come back he watched, look at them here, come back a couple hours later and note that they changed position and a few hours later and then the next night they constantly changed position but that they were always right by Jupiter and you could actually trace out their orbits. So again, the first evidence of something orbiting, going back a few chapters, something orbiting an object other than the Earth. You know, proof that something could orbit an object other than the Earth. Now if we look a little bigger, there's a little bit more of what Jupiter looks like. So you have the biggest planet in the solar system. It has a lot of structure to it. And again, this isn't even one of the best pictures necessarily. We've got even more detail than this. But you get some interesting bands and zones, some lighter areas and some darker areas on the surface. You get the great red spot, gigantic storm on the surface of Jupiter. Now sort of, if you think of it like a hurricane on the earth, except that this one has lasted for as long as we know. We don't know when it started because Galileo, with the first telescopes, observed it in the 1600s. So it was actually observed in the 1600s and it's been there ever since. So it's a 400-year-old hurricane. It's still going. still goes around Jupiter. We We can observe that constantly. There are other littler storms that do come and go, so you can see some other little spots down here. But most of the structure is towards the middle of the planet. But you get this, and we'll look in a little bit more detail after, but you get all sorts of nice interesting patterns there, and it's a very It's what we call a gas giant planet. It's a gigantic planet. It's made up of primarily hydrogen and helium just like the Sun. So it's primarily hydrogen and helium in there but you don't really see the hydrogen and helium. You see the little bits of other traces. What you're usually seeing are the methane and the ammonia and the water vapor which are three common compounds that form in these cold atmospheres and actually give it the coloring. And we'll see a little bit more of that in some of the others. But that's an example of what Jupiter would look like. Now Saturn, you know, these are re- more real color images. Saturn isn't near as beautiful. It's got the beautiful rings, but the planet itself isn't really as tremendous. You know, you looked at Jupiter, you had a lot more structure. You've got some bands here going right up to the pole almost. But they're not as pretty as, not near as pretty as Jupiter's. Not as detailed. And part of the problem is that Saturn is twice as far away from the Sun as Jupiter. So it's naturally a lot colder. And it's a lot colder, so it's got more atmosphere on top of the layers that give it all of the all the pretty banding structure. There's more atmosphere on top of it, and it gets all hazy and that blocks it, and that blocks out a lot of it. And we'll see that again in our next picture when we look a little further out in the in the outer planets. But the rings kind of make up for it. You get the beautiful rings. Now each of the planets, each of the outer planets has rings of some kind, but nothing like Saturn's. Saturn's are very wide, very easily visible. The other, Jupiter has a very small ring. Uranus's are very, very narrow. So are most of Neptune's. So you don't really see a tremendous ring pattern the way you see it on on Saturn. I mean easily through a small telescope right now. If you look at Saturn through a small telescope, it won't look like that. It'll look like a teeny tiny ball with a little ring around it. But you'll actually see something like this just on a much, much smaller scale. You know, even a relatively small telescope now is better, bigger and better quality than what Galileo had, where he couldn't quite make out those rings. Now if we go further out, Uranus is even blander, doesn't it? Not much there at all. There's a little bit of structure to it. If you can see, there's a little bit of, I don't know how well you can see, there's a little bit of lighter material and a couple little lines over here, but there's not. It's a very, very bland planet. Nice and blue, though. So it does get a coloring of blue, which is caused by what its its, composed, its atmosphere has a lot of methane in it. Methane is a compound that's very, very good at absorbing red light. So all the red light from the sun that comes is absorbed by the atmosphere of Uranus. So what's left to be reflected? If you absorb out all the reddish light, all that's coming back to you is the bluish green light. So it looks very blue and green. Because that's the light that is absorbing all the other colors. And that's, essentially, that's how, that, how that works, same as it works on Earth. You know, if something looks red, it's because it's reflecting red light to you and that's what you see and it absorbs the other colors you know my shirt looks blue because it's reflecting blue light and it's absorbing you know red light is being absorbed by it same thing with Neptune it just happens to be the compound that is in it which is methane that is very good at absorbing that red light and makes it and Uranus and Neptune even bluer. Now Neptune you've got out you've actually got some storms here too so you've gotten further out in the solar system. We've gone from Jupiter to Saturn to Uranus to Neptune. Neptune, you start to see a little bit more structure again. It's got a great dark spot, another great storm on this planet, along with some other little ones and some clouds going through. So you're starting to get a little bit more structure back in to the planet. But again, they're very bluish when you get out there. Neptune, the same reasoning for as Uranus was. That it's got a lot of methane in there that's absorbing all the red light. So what does it reflect back? All the blue light. So they'll look the same color. That's why they look that color. But again, you get some storms there in the atmosphere. The way you get storms in the Earth's atmosphere. These are just much bigger planets, and you get them on a much bigger scale. The red spot that I looked at would, the red spot that we looked at on Jupiter, is you know could fit several Earths across it. So it's not just a big storm. It's a very big storm. Sort of like the sunspot we were looking at not too long ago. It's a tremendous storm where you can fit the Earth into that entire storm. So how does it work a little bit? Let's go over in a little bit detail. Now we've looked at a picture of each of the planets. You notice that Jupiter had that striping. So it had what we call zones and belts. There were dark areas that were belts, and there were brighter areas that were called zones. So the zones are a little bit cooler. They're higher up into the atmosphere. The belts are down a little bit lower. So its material comes up. And then, so material is sort of oscillating. The warm material rises, cools off. So you get a much cooler area up here. And it's a little higher in the atmosphere as well. So it's up higher. You can't really see that when you look at the surface. But it's actually a little, it's an irregular surface. And then as it cools off, the cooler material sinking. So it's sort of like a convective cell underneath. So this is basically how we get, and this works for all the planets, all of the Jovian planets. You get dark, you get some darker areas, you get some lighter areas. Just on some of the planets, it's not very visible. Jupiter happens to be very well visible in terms of, as we can see, a very dark area here. Again, a lower dark area, an upper bright area, another dark area, as they alternate. And that gives you a basic structure to the atmosphere. Now there's not a surface. To the planet. Jupiter doesn't have a surface. You can't go land on Jupiter. And we can sense the Galileo probe was launched and went into the actually went into the atmosphere and went down deeper and deeper and deeper and eventually it just gets crushed because the atmospheric pressure gets so high that everything would get crushed. So by the time you get to the where a surface would be, I mean yes there's probably some rocky material and some metallic material down at the core there, but you'd never actually be able to land on it because the atmosphere, the gases, the hydrogen would become, would be so compressed it would be as dense as that as the rock by the time you got down to it. So that's what we see in the atmosphere. And again, this is Jupiter. This actually applies to any of the planets. You see the same sort of pattern in the atmosphere. And again, we saw it in Saturn and but it was hidden down because you had a nice big hazy layer over the top of this that kind of blotted it out, Uranus and Neptune would have been even more extreme because they're even colder out there. So there's our great red spot. There's a nice close-up of it, and there it is compared to the Earth. So really, you could fit the Earth, this gigantic storm, you could fit the Earth right inside it. So you can see all the turbulence in the atmosphere. You can see how it's all spinning around here and all these little eddies and currents and things that have formed beside it as material is going one way here and one way here and kind of rotating in this big storm. How long will the red spot last? Can't tell you. Honestly, I'll be honest on it, I can't tell you. You know, It's been around as long as we know. It's been around 400 years. I don't know if these things have a, if it's been, we don't know if it was around for thousands of years or millions of years before that. Or if it formed shortly before Galileo looked at it, you know, there's no way to tell. Question, ma'am. Do you know um, how wide it is across? How wide it is across? Well, that's a, this is about 10,000 kilometers here. So, talking 20, 30,000 kilometers. So it's bigger, bigger than the earth. Bigger than the earth, which would be 20 some thousand. So it's bigger. Yeah, you could fit you could fit the earth inside it, you know, pretty easily. So it is a tremendous. It's a tremendous storm. And you see some other little ones. Now some of the little ones do come and go. But this one, you know, is it going to disappear tomorrow? It could. You know, I don't know what the time frame is. I don't know how it would disappear. It's the only one we, it's one of those things. It's the only one you've got to look at. So we don't have any com- anything for comparison to say, oh, typically on other planets they appear and disappear every thousand years. So maybe it's halfway through its life. Maybe it's, you know, we don't, we don't know. But So as far as we know, it's been there since the early 1600s. Before that, we couldn't tell you. And it's still there today. And then again, Saturn, similar to Jupiter's. You see the bands and zones, belts and zones, but not nearly as prominent. And again, the atmosphere is colder. It's further from the sun. It's twice as far away from the sun. So it's colder and it's got a thicker atmosphere and it's got a bigger haze around over the atmosphere where we're seeing all those belts and zones and therefore it doesn't look nearly as prominent. You do get the rings and again we're going to come back to rings in the last section here but the rings are very very prominent you get some gaps in the rings interesting this is called the Cassini division and we'll look at that in a little more detail in one of the later slides but there's actually an area there where there's not very much in terms of ring particles. And I should say ring particles, they're actually, there are many millions of little pieces of ice that make up those rings, so they're all orbiting around. They're not a, like a solid disk as you normally think about it. They're not like a Frisbee orbiting it. They're actually thousands of millions of little tiny ice pieces orbiting in these orbits. But there's an area here where there's none, and that's an interesting point too, and you see it again here. There's areas where there's fewer particles. And we'll talk about that in the last, in Chapter 8, which we'll be on to shortly. When we look at these to determine the rotation of the planets, we watch the storms. So you see things like the great red spot on Jupiter. That's a good convenient one, because it's easy to see and it's prominent, and we can watch how long it takes to be at the center of Jupiter, and we can watch it and watch it the next, the next, over the next few hours and so it comes around again, and find out that Jupiter rotates about once every 10 hours. So it's rotating more than twice as fast as the, as the Earth, which is in it's a lot bigger planet. right? Signif- we saw the red, stop, red spot was the size of the Earth, which rotates once every 24 hours. This thing is zipping around every nine hours and 56 minutes, like t- it's about 10 hours. So it zips around every 10 hours. And that actually causes it to flatten its shape. So as it spins around so fast, all of these planets, they, they, get, they get squished down. And they flatten down a little bit. So they're not quite a perfect sphere just because they're spinning so fast. And that's what we're showing you here is you're looking at a storm here. This in this case it's Uranus, but you could do the same thing with the great red spot on Jupiter. And you watch these storms, A and B. And as they travel around, you can measure how long it takes them to orbit once. Now Uranus is unusual because it's kind of lying on its side. You know, Most of the planets are sticking straight up and down. Like well, we're tilted at 23 degrees. We've got a little bit of a tilt for seasons. But this one is tilted at 98 degrees. 90 degrees would be straight on towards the sun. So that means that for. Part of its year, the north pole of this planet points right to almost right towards the sun. And the south pole points away from the sun. So for what would it be? 90, about twenty some years. It takes about ninety to go, Uranus takes about ninety some years to go around the sun once. So for twenty years, about a quarter of that essentially, that pole points towards the sun, and the other one's in complete darkness. So you know, instead of here where you have, you know. A few months of light or dark, if you're real close to the poles. Here you could have years, where one side is constantly being warmed by the very, very distant sun. You know, sun's just a really, really bright star when you get out this far in the solar system. It's not that big glob we get here. And the other part is not. The other side would not see the sun for 20 years, and then you'd as it as it moves around the sun, then other part, then it would all eventually get to see it. And the rings are actually around as well. So the rings of Uranus are tilted like this. So as it orbits it goes around like that. So instead of being flat on like the rings of Saturn you see the whole disk. So you're looking at like from the north or the the top or the bottom of the rings. And in fact that helped with their discovery. They probably wouldn't have been discovered until we got a satellite there. They were actually discovered by accident before one of the space probes got there. When an astronomer was watching Neptune, Uranus was going to pass in front of a star. So they they were watching it with the telescopes. They had their instruments turned on, waiting for Uranus to pass in front of the star, because it was going to tell us about the atmosphere. You know How thick is the atmosphere? How quick does the star disappear behind the planet? It's not a solid surface like the moon, where it would just be on and off. It's going to slowly, as it goes into that atmosphere, it's going to slowly fade. And that was going to tell us about the atmosphere. But what they found was that they turned their instruments on early, and they found five little dips in the amount of light coming from that star before it even got to the planet. It disappeared when it hit the planet, and it came back out and had five more little dips. So They found five little rings, very faint rings. You couldn't see them from Earth. They're very, very dark. But they were actually discovered quite by accident. You know, If the astronomers had waited a little bit longer, to turn on their, you know, if they'd been coming like this and they waited until it was much closer to actually turn on their instruments and turned them off right after, they never would have discovered them. Now, of course, when Voyager got there a few years later, we would have found them then, because it would have been right there to discover. But they were actually discovered quite by accident in that case. Neptune. There's that great dark spot, which did disappear. So we're not sure how that compares to the one on Jupiter because Neptune is a much larger planet. So it has storms that are similar but we're not sure exactly how it how it compares to Jupiter. It's a much smaller planet so we don't know if this tells us anything about that and the other problem is we don't know how long the storm lasted before. So how long was this storm on Neptune we don't know because we didn't discover it until we got a space probe out there in the, what, early 80s? So late 70s, early 80s when the Voyager probes were going. So until then, we didn't know anything about this storm. So we only had a few years worth of data on it. We don't know if it lasts longer or if it was there for hundreds and hundreds of years that we just never were able to observe it. But it does seem to show that these storms can disappear. So we don't know about the great red spot on Jupiter. It may be there. And maybe it'll disappear. All right, last chapter. Never did five chapters so fast, right? We've gone through all the planets briefly. And again, this is just to give you a very brief overview of the, of the, pla- of the planets. Again, we're going to spend most of our time concentrating on stars and galaxies. If you want to hear lots about the planets, then you've got to take the other class. But this is to give you a taste of it, I guess. So, but, so what you have is you have these. We're going to look at some of the moons. We're we'll going to talk about the rings, and then we'll talk about the plutoids because we didn't talk about Pluto with the planets since it's been declassified; it's not a planet anymore. But one of the things you see here with some of these objects is how irregular shaped they get. You know, you get some that look like nice spheres, like all the planets we've been talking about, and our moon, and you get some that are, you know, very irregular shapes that are much smaller. And we'll look at that as we go a little further in. But let's first look at the Galilean satellites of Jupiter. These are the four that Galileo discovered. Now, of course, Galileo couldn't get an image like this. He got a nice little teeny dot in his telescope. And he watched Io, which is this one, zip around Jupiter very, very quickly. It only takes a few days for it to orbit. But you see the surface is very interesting. It is One of only a handful of objects in the solar system, Earth being one, Io being one, and I think one of the moons—I think one of the moons of Neptune's might have active volcanoes still. Now, there's no sign of active volcanoes on any other objects. So Mars has those nice big volcanoes, but they've been dead for billions of years. Mars has cooled off. Io has currently active volcanoes, and there's an example of a volcanic plume, a volcanic eruption throwing material out into space and over the surface. And it is so active, it has enough volcanoes around its surface that it constantly changes that surface. So it constantly gets recovered. So any impacts that occurred, and this is what I mentioned before, any impacts that occurred and formed a crater on it don't last very long. So there are not any known impact craters on the surface of Io. There is nothing that is known. But Io is a very small moon. It's smaller than than our moon. But it's still volcanically active, which sounds like a contradiction. It should be the bigger planets that are active. You know, the Earth is one of the biggest planets; it's still volcanically active. But Mars is dead. It had a volcanic activity at one point. So did the Moon. It had some lava flowing, but they're all long since gone. But how come this little tiny Moon, you know, a bit smaller than our Moon, is still so active at this point? And the problem is that it's very, very close to Jupiter. Jupiter's a big, big planet. It's got lots of gravity. So Jupiter tugs on it. And it's locked into orbit so that one side faces it. So that helps it a little bit. But it also has other moons orbiting it. Io isn't the only moon. If Io is the only moon, it might not be quite so active. But it's got Europa is the next moon out that we'll look at the next slide. And Europa tugs on it as well and tries to turn it. So the two are kind of fighting over it. Jupiter's further away, but a lot bigger. And Europa's much smaller but closer. And they keep tugging at Io and twist it this way. Also Europa twists it one way a little bit, then Jupiter twists it back, and it ends up essentially kneading the interior material. So like you're kneading bread dough and just heating and it heats up. So it keeps it hot, even though it long since should have cooled off. If you just put Io out in the middle of space or put it around orbiting the Earth like the moon, it would be as dead as the moon. It's only because it's so close to Jupiter, and it's got all these other large moons that are pulling on it, twisting it each way, You know, it m- heats up the interior and keeps it constantly active. And that's why it is the one surface in the solar system that has no impact craters. So there's no sign of an impact crater on that surface. And it's the most volcanically active. It beats the Earth easily. It's got a lot more active volcanoes than the Earth, even though it is smaller than our moon. Europa also has no craters, or at least very few. But it's a little bit further away from Jupiter, so it really doesn't have the active, doesn't have active volcanoes. But its surface is made up of something we're quite familiar with, ice. And ice, in this case, water ice. So it's actually a surface of ice. Which is one of the reasons it doesn't have, has very few or no craters as well is that an impact coming through would crack through this surface of ice but below it's believed that there's an ocean of water actually liquid water below the surface so the outer layers are frozen but below that would actually be liquid water so if you crack something through the surface of that crust that water flows freezes pretty darn quickly but wipes out any sign of the impact so it's sort of similar to you know, hitting an impact in the middle of the ocean on the earth, it goes away real quick. Well, if you hit the middle, impact in the middle of you know, a, a pond that has an ice covering on it, you're going to see that crater. But what's going to happen? It's going to freeze right back over pretty quickly. So you don't get too many craters. But it has a good possibility of liquid water on it, below its surface. So again, with our understanding of life, there's another good place to look. It's got liquid water. It's also pretty darn cold. So that's a problem too. Because the way we think life formed on earth took a high temperature, it took a relatively warm temperature to get the chemical reactions going that actually formed the the amino acids that turn into DNA molecules and all that we think it had to be warmer. But again, we're going on one, you know, just one basis. We don't have, you know, Well, here's how life formed on this planet. Now let's go look at 30 other planets and study them. We don't have that option. We only have one. So we don't know if ours was something unusual or if ours is, is the normal. We don't know. But Europa does get the same sort of forces, the tides, like we had on, I told you we had on Io, that were twisting and turning it and heating it up inside. It gets the same thing to a lesser extent but it does keep cracking the surface. And you can see a lot of the cracks and fractures in the surface. And every time you crack below the surface and let water out, it keeps the surface relatively smooth. So you don't get, you don't get a lot of craters on Europa. So Io and Europa are the two that have the least two objects in the solar system that have the least craters, excluding things with no surface. It's things with the surface. Yeah. Sun doesn't have a surface, so yeah, you can can smash all the meteors you want to into the sun and you're never going to see a crater. You can smash all the meteors you want to into Jupiter, you're never going to see a crater. But of things that actually have a solid surface, these two moons are the least cratered. So the youngest, and that means they're the youngest surfaces. Ganymede is the largest moon in the solar system. In fact, it's larger than Mercury. So it's actually larger than one of the planets. And it actually looks a lot like the Earth's moon in many ways. If you look at the patterns, you see almost the same type of structures. We we saw the maria and you saw the cratered regions. But instead of rock, it did it with ice. So moon has essentially no ice because it's so in so close to the sun. It's a lot warmer. Ganymede, we're much further out from the sun. We're 10 times further away. So it's a lot colder. It's got a lot more, it's got some rock. And some ice that had formed. and it has flowed It had instead of having lava flows to form smoother areas, it had water flows to form smoother areas. Not to the extreme extent that Europa had. Europa was a little closer to Jupiter and has been heated up more, and the water's all closer to the surface. Here it was a little bit less, and you formed more, you know, smooth areas, some smooth areas, and some areas that didn't crack through with the water. So again, very similar to the moon in this case, but water was used, water used instead of the rocks. So instead of molten lava, you had molten water out further in the solar system. But this is the biggest of the moons of all of the moons. So it's actually larger than our moon, larger than even Mercury. And Callisto. So we're getting further we started out close to Jupiter, we're getting further and further away. And you see these start to look like. Now we start to look like a lot more what we're used to. Look at all the craters. Again, if I just show you that, the surface of the moon, right? Well it is the moon, not the moon, but it's the moon. It's one of the moons of Jupiter and it's Callisto. So as you get further and further out, Callisto is very similar to Ganymede. It's got a lot more craters. Again, the two inner moons had almost no craters. The outer moons had a lot of craters. So. That is the satellites of Jupiter. Again, in a rush. Rather spend a lot more time on them but then we'd never make it to the stars and the galaxies and all the other interesting stuff that you signed up to take the class for. So what I will finish up since we're about out of time here I will finish up next time and we still have to go through. I've got a few more moons to go through so we're only going through the largest moons. I'll go through those and we'll talk a little bit more about rings and then Pluto and we should finish that up on Friday and probably have time to start on the sun. The lab we're doing for Friday does not involve the sky this time. We'll come back to that next week. So you don't need, if you're not going to bring your lab man, you don't need to worry about bringing your lab books or anything for this, for this week. So just save you one book to drag around if I can try to remind you in advance. So, Otherwise, have a good rest of the day, and I'll see everybody on Friday.